Thank you so much for checking out our podcast. We hope today's message encourages, inspires, and empowers you to follow after Jesus like never before. Before we get into today's teaching, I want to invite you to join us live at one of our services at any of our three campuses in West Virginia, or join us as we stream live online. For more information or to save your seat at one of our services, visit our website, iheartchurch.online. Now let's check out today's message. So we've been in a series called Are We There Yet? where we've been really looking at uh, just things in Christianity and what the Bible talks about that a Christian should look like or act like or live like and, and, and just kind of testing ourselves like how far are we in this? You know, we talked about when you take long trips, there's mile markers that are along the way. And if, if you find that you're only halfway or a quarter of the way, you don't get frustrated and just give up and quit or just camp out halfway or a quarter of the way. You, you realize where you are and what you've got to do. You make adjustments. If you need some coffee to get a little bit of energy or, or whatever, you need to switch drivers or whatever you need to do, you make the adjustments to, so that you can make sure you get where you need to be. And that's what this series is about, is about getting where we need to be, not, not a, a condemnation or a judgment or anything, but just recognize where we are on this journey of life, where we are on this journey of walking with God and being able to identify and take the next step. You know, what, what is the next thing that God is asking of me? And last week we talked about discipleship. And, and discipleship, what Jesus teaches, discipleship is way different than what we see in the church world today. And in the church world today, we call going through a leadership class or a discipleship class or, or like a Bible study, we call that discipleship. But when we looked at with the disciples, Jesus didn't call them to come to a Bible study. He didn't call them to come to a meeting that he was having. He called him, he said, come and follow me. And then he even, when he was with his disciples, raised the bar and he's like, listen, if you want to come after me, you got to deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow me. This isn't a, a, an in and out type relationship. It's not an in and out type of calling. This is a daily walk that God is calling us to. And see, what happens over the period of time, a lot of times is that when we don't, decide to go all in with Christ and begin to follow him the way that the disciples did, then we fall into a pattern of where we have a form of religion. You know, we still go to church. We tithe. We, we read our Bible some. We, we pray some. You, you know, we, we tell people we love God. We raise our hands during worship. We have this, this form of religion, but yet our heart isn't lined up with what God's heart is. And we become complacent. We kind of go through the motions. We have a lot of head knowledge, but not a lot of heart knowledge. And the way to tell in between whether it's head knowledge or heart knowledge is, are you doing it? If you believe something deeply in your heart, it affects who you are and what you do, period. It is second nature. It, it, like, it is not even, I don't even think about like, oh, I got to get up and read my Bible today. Oh, I got to go to church on Sunday. Oh, I mean, that is just natural things because it's just part of the thing that that God uh, that I've answered as far as just being a disciple and not as being a pastor as being a disciple see we've got to understand that there there is not a different requirement and and thing in that 
Whether you're somebody who attends church and, and raises kids, godly kids, and, and, and you know, serves in things, or, or you're leading the ministry, or leading worship, or you're going to the mission field, the call of God is to be a disciple, which means a learner, which means a, daily, a person who daily walks and follows God. And when we don't, and we start just getting into the routine of things, then what God desired to be a daily relationship really just becomes religion. We have all the head knowledge in the world about God, but yet what we walk in is completely different. And really, that's ultimately where the Pharisees were. The Pharisees had all the they, they They went to the temple when it was time to go to the temple. They paid their alms. They paid their tithes. They, they memorized scripture. They, they, they uh, had all the hand-washing rituals. They, they had all the different rituals and everything. But yet the Son of God is in front of them, and they don't even recognize him. Even to the point of where they wanted to crucify him, and they were the ones ultimately responsible for crucifying him. And they did it in the name of God. But it was completely off because they hadn't, it wasn't a relationship with them. It was a form of religion. And that's what the Bible warns about. It says in the last days there were people who have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. The power comes when we are daily, say daily, connected to God. Not weekly, not bi-weekly and definitely not monthly. But daily connected with God. And in John, uh, and I'm sorry, Luke chapter 14, we see Jesus when he has a chance to encounter some of these religious people. He got invited to a, a, a dinner at a, at a religious leader's house, at a Pharisee's house. And I don't know why they invited him. Maybe, maybe they invited him because they had heard about all the things that he was doing and, and they were bringing him in. Maybe they, the Pharisees were always trying to trip Jesus up about things. Maybe they were inviting him to dinner because they were going to set him straight on uh, his disciples washing their hands and, and things like that. Whatever reason they invited Jesus to the party, the, the dinner party didn't go the way that they anticipated as soon as they show up, there's a man who's crippled and, and Jesus reaches over and he heals the man. And then the disciples become frustrated and, and Jesus is like, shouldn't I be able to be, do good on the Sabbath? I mean, even you will walk your donkey out and get some water. Shouldn't I be able to heal a man on the Sabbath? He, what's he doing? He, he's confronting the religion that's in her heart right there. And then after that, it was time to go in and and eat dinner, and he's watching as everybody is lining up based on their status and position and everything. Like even the Pharisees, depending on how long their, their, their cloak was or robe was and the strings and things, it, it represented their status within the church and, and everything. And, and so the, the people who were highest status sat in the best seats and the people who were lowest status. And then here comes Jesus again. He's just like, hey, guys, uh, you know, you might not want to sit at the front of the table because if you do, somebody else might be more important than you. And then you have to be asked to step down. And then you look like, you, you look foolish because you took a place that wasn't yours. But instead, let me give you a little bit of advice versus fighting for the best seat. Why don't you take the lowest seat? And then when somebody doesn't, you know, when the, the master of the house sees that you've taken the lowest seat, and they call you up to a higher seat, then you look like you're honored in front of people. And he looks at them and he tells them, he's like, the, everybody who tries to exalt themselves is going to be humbled. But the people who will humble themselves will be exalted. 
What's he doing? He's attacking religion again. He's confronting a mindset again. They are all about status. And unfortunately in the world today, even in the church world today, we have the same thing. We got celebrity status of different people that are preaching and things. And we have certain pastors that are up here. And then there's pastors that are here. And then there's people who are under the pastors. And we got all this status. And you got people within a church that are trying to find their status and trying to find their seat at the table. And Jesus is like, don't fight over all that stuff. Just take the last seat. Let me be the one who calls you up. When Mike is serving at food trucks and stuff, she's not doing that so that she can get called up here and brought up before the, uh, the church so that people can be like, hey, look at Micah. She, she serves and so faithfully and everything. She did it behind the scenes, and because she was willing to do that, even to the point of go off into the mission field, nobody asked me to pray for her except for God say, no, I want you to bring her up, and I want you to show the church what a life that is submitted to him looks like. That it's willing to leave family. It's willing to, I mean, she can make a whole lot of money. Nurses can make good money now after COVID and, and stuff through all these different things. She could be prosperous and very wealthy. And instead, she's going to go live in a third world country and surrender those things. But you know what? That's the exact heart God wants every disciple to have. That humble heart is whatever you want me to do, God, wherever you want, whatever you say. And then Jesus starts teaching them a parable. And so if you have your Bible, open it up. We're in Luke chapter 14. We're going to start at verse 16. It says, he said to the, uh, he, he said to the people that were there, a man uh, was giving a great banquet. And he invited many people. And at the time... Uh, it came time for the banquet, so he sent his servant to, to uh, say to those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. So he, he already sent the email blast. He already posted it on social media that the event was coming up. He already called everybody, invited everything, and now it's time for the event to take place. And so he, he wants to make sure nobody misses this. Nobody was fasting Instagram that week and missed his post. Or nobody, you know, the email went to the spam box so he didn't see it. He wants to make sure everybody is a part of this. So he sends his servants. Go, everybody then invited, go get them. Tell them it's time, it's time to come. Verse 18 says, but they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said, I, I bought a field and I must go out and I must see it. So please have me excused. Then another said, I bought five, oak, five, oak, five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another one said, I, I've just been married. I'm on my honeymoon. Like, I can't, I, can't, I can't come. Please have me excused. Now, if you look at this one by one, they all have different excuses. One of them, I just bought new land. You know, it could be, maybe he was a farmer and, and he's got to go look and he's got to plan out how he's going to farm it and how he's going to lay out his crops or plant his vineyards. And another one is, I, I, I just got five oxen. Like, none of us today would be happy about five oxen. Like, it means nothing to us. But he's like, I, if oxen were beasts of burden and it was equipment. It's like, I just got a tractor and an attachment for it and I got this stuff. And so like, I, I, I just got this stuff for my farm. I got I to gotta, I gotta go get this stuff ready. I got to get it worked out and try it out a little bit. You know, they're excited about the new things that he's, he's got. And then the last one, I, I just got married. 
None of these things are bad in themselves. But the problem is, when Jesus is telling this parable, the master that he's talking about, he's talking about, he's referring to God like this, this is, a, this is the, the Father is calling. He's sending out the invite to everybody who will hear it. He's sending out the invite. And then it says his servants, the servants were like the pastors and the preachers and the evangelists and the, the prophets and the people who would go and invite people to come in. But, and and he, he didn't want to leave it to chance that somebody would miss this. He wanted everybody to have their personal invite. And yet every person made an excuse one by one. Now anybody who's ever tried to start a life group or start a serve team or any type of ministry, you probably can relate to this. Any of you ministry leaders, you send the Elvanto task request, you, you ask for the schedules, which block out which dates you're not available, and, and you get back and everybody's good, we're, we're good to serve. And then you start sending out the calendar and then it's decline, 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 switch. And then like last minute, you're trying to find everybody and you're like, hey, can you fill in? Oh man, I'm going to the lake this weekend. Hey man, can you fill in? I'm sorry, man, I got a basketball tournament going on. I, I, I'm not able to be there. Hey, can you fill in for this on? Oh, no, I, I'm, I'm sorry, man. This is my only day off this week, so we're just going to hang out at the house and get some stuff done around the house. I mean, all my ministry leaders are like, yep, that's it. But I want you to look at what the master's response was to all of the excuses that were made. Verse 21, so the servant came and reported these things to the master. And then the master of the house became angry. He became angry. Why? Because I've, I've blessed them. I've given them all these things. Now they'd rather have all the things than have time with me. I, you know, we have to realize James says that every good and perfect gift that we have in our life today came from above. And when we realize that, that our, bless, our, our homes, that we realize that, that our jobs and equipment, the Bible says that, that the ability to create wealth, that God is the one who gives us the abilities to create wealth. Like all these things, every skill, talent, ability, whatever we have was given by God. And when we would rather have the hobby or the skill, the talent, the ability, the blessing than time with him, it frustrates the heart of God. So the master's like, okay, fine then. I want you to go out into the streets and the lanes. I want you to bring in the poor. I want you to bring in the crippled. I want you to bring in the blind. I want you to bring in any lame. I, I, don't, I don't care who you find. Just, just go out and begin to bring people in. I just, just want people here. God's heart is always for people. 
God's heart always bleeds for people. And it doesn't matter. Like he's saying, you, okay, maybe the people that were invited, they, they you, you know, we, we kind of went and invited just people who look like us, act like us, talk like us, invited people who were part of the church and, and part of the ministry and stuff before. So if, if the people who are already there don't and already blessed and already healed and whole don't want to come and be a part of what I want to do, then go find the people that are broken. Go find the people that are still strong out on drugs. Go find the people that, that are, are drunk. Go find the people who are far from me and go invite them to bring come in. He wasn't concerned about the addiction. He wasn't concerned about the sin. He wasn't concerned about the sickness. He's not concerned about any of it. Why? Because he's able to heal all of that. Just like he did for all the other people who already told him no. Go bring them in. Verse 22 says, the servant said, sir, I have, I, what you've commanded, I've already done it. I've already done these things and, and there is still room. He goes on and says, then the master said to the servant, all right, listen, go to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in. I want my house to be full. Now, why does God want his house to be full? Because he knows that in his presence, when you're in a room with him, that there's fullness of joy. In his presence, he can minister. In his presence, there's healing that can take place. In his presence, there's encouragement. There's empowerment. There's, there's things that can take place in his presence that can't, be taken, that, that can't take place outside of it. And he doesn't want one single person to miss out on the plan that he has for their life. And the blessing that he wants in their life. There's a couple of key words there in this passage. One of them is hedges. And the word hedges, he says, go into the highways and hedges. The word hedges means the fenced-in areas or the areas that are blocked by barriers. So he's telling them, listen, I don't care if you have to jump over a gate, if you have to knock down a wall, whatever it is, you knock down every barrier because I don't want anybody to miss out on what I'm calling them to do. Don't let any obstacle, don't let a single no or a locked gate or something that seems like you're, you can't get over it be an obstacle. You press through it, you get over it, you find a way. You go bring them in. And the other word there is compel. That word compel means to urge. It means to necessitate. It literally means to force them. <laughs> like, now he's not saying you just go grab them by the ear, you are coming to church, you know, like, that's not what he's saying. But what he is saying is, you've got you've to show them the necessity of it. And I think one of the things that happens over a period of time is we begin to forget how necessary it is to be in God's house. And to be in God's presence. And to be in the calling of what God is calling us to do. And we begin to operate in our own strength. We begin to do things our own way. We begin to think that we can go without. But I can tell you this. The reason why this church grew as quickly and as fast as it grew is because there were people that came 
experienced God in some way, and then they had to go tell everybody about it. We had people like the lady at the well, I think it's in John chapter 4, who Jesus met, and, and she's hiding from everybody and not wanting to, to be around everybody. So she comes to the well in the middle of the day, and then she encounters Jesus, and she's not hiding from people anymore. She's running to the city and it's like, hey, y'all got to come see this. There's a man over here. He told me everything I've ever done in my life. This, this is the Messiah. There, there's something about this guy. You've got to come see him. Like she didn't care what people thought about her anymore. She didn't care about the glances anymore. It didn't matter. She had encountered Jesus and she was going to tell everybody about it. And many people early on in the church, it was that. They encountered Jesus and they were going to tell everybody about it. Tab was the biggest Facebook nag there was early on in text messaging. Like she was telling everybody. Why? Because she'd come to a Bible study. God began to convict her about some things. She went home, began to put it into practice. God began to do a work in Aaron's life. They began to see God restore their marriage and, and do all these different things. And so Tab wanted everybody else to experience the same thing that she was experiencing. And one of those people that she, every Sunday or Saturday, right before service, every week, she would be texting Brooke or messaging Brooke. Brooke, are you coming? Are you coming? Are you coming? Are you coming? Are you coming this week? Are you coming this week? You want to come this week? Hey, hey, Brooke, you want to come this week? You want to come this week? You want to come this week? Why? Because she felt compelled. Listen, that word compel is not a passive word. Hey, do you think you might want to go to church with me sometime? Possibly. Pray about it. Think about it. If you feel like it, if it's convenient for you, if you have time one Sunday and nothing else better going on, then maybe you could come to church with me. Which is the way that many people invite people to church. Hey, I go to church. You can come sometime. <laughs> like no details, no nothing. Like Tab wasn't going to take that for and, and, and Brooke every week. No, 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 no. And finally, Brooke comes. And Brooke comes to the service, and she leaves the service. And so Tab asked her, Tab, or, or, or Brooke, Tab asked Brooke, are you going to come next week? Brooke's like, no. <laughs> She's like, well, you've got to come because me and Aaron are being baptized. It's a, it's a camp creek. It's not even in church. So you don't have to worry about God striking you with lightning entering into his house or anything. Like, you're just coming to see me be baptized. You can just come be a part of it. And so Brooke came. And week number two of Brooke coming, Brooke gets saved and gets baptized that same week. Why? Because Tab urged her, showed her the necessity. She would not leave her alone. But now Brooke helps lead worship teams. She helps in a school. She's, she leads small groups. Like all these different things. Her marriage has been completely healed and restored. And her husband serves and leads things and, and, and just all these things. What if Tab would have taken no for an answer? No, no. Tab understood. Compel them. Keep knocking. Keep going. Keep asking. Keep believing. Why don't we do it? 
Because at some point we think there, there's a thing where we settle in and it's like, well, maybe, maybe it won't happen for them. Maybe what I've experienced won't. They don't need it because we kind of calm down a little bit over time. We've got to keep our passion for what God is passionate about. Because when we begin to go into cruise control, guys, it's a dangerous place. Now, what we call it, we've even spiritualized going into cruise control in the church world today. We just call it, we're just going through a dry season. We're just going through a wilderness season. As if God now is withholding blessing and not wanting to, he, he's, like he's not offering his blessing to us anymore. It's not the fact that he's not offering it. It's not the fact that he's not willing to talk to us. It's the fact that we become so complacent that when he keeps inviting us to the banquet, we keep telling him no because we're distracted with the, the, the blessings that God has already blessed us with. Oh, he already healed my marriage. He already restored. He already gave me a well-paying job. So now I'm distracted by all the blessings that he's given me, and he keeps calling me to, to the banquet with him. He keeps calling me to a deeper walk with him, but I'm distracted by the things he gave me in the first place. And then we begin to find ourselves dry. And no longer do we go in and feel the presence of God and begin to weep. And no longer do we feel like our life is just mattering and reaching people. And we're not seeing those blessings and things take place. And it's not because God moved. It's because we refuse to call. Because he calls consistently. And in Luke 14, 24... It's a little bit of a scary verse. He says, well, I tell you this, none of those people who were invited and didn't, they're not going to taste of my banquet. You want to know why things get dry sometimes? Because we're not showing up to where the source is. Because there's areas that we're not being obedient in. There's revelation that God has given us that we're not acting on yet. And why would he give you more revelation when you haven't acted on the previous revelation that he gave you? And the unfortunate thing is that many people in the church today have settled in and accepted. Well, I was fired up when I got saved, but that was just, I was just zealous. I was just zealous. I didn't. I didn't know any better. Now I'm more mature, and I'm just taking my place at, this, at the table, or I'm just, I'm just kind of making it, going through the motions. And you're content with it. When God's still saying, I've got a banquet prepared for you. He goes from this, and after he talks about this, inviting people in, he starts talking about discipleship and Talks to him about counting the cost. He's like, who would, who would start building a building without first counting the cost and, 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 and making sure you have enough? He even says some statements in there that people get offended by. It, if you really want to be a follower after me, why is he doing this? Because there's people who are starting to come around and listen, and there's a crowd starting to, to build here. And so he's kind of putting the message out there for the whole crowd. It's like, hey, if anybody's going to uh, follow me, they, 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 they must hate their father and their mother and their brother and their sister. 
Like, brother, that doesn't sound like, I thought God was love. Why would he want me to hate anybody? The, the word there isn't hate like what we think of hate. The word there is hate as in comparatively, compared to your love for God and your love for your parents or your family, there's no comparison. It looks like hate because you love God that much more. Because that's the only way that Micah leaves her family. That's the only way that Melody leaves her family to come up here and plan a, help plan a church and, and things like that is, is that we love God so much that we're not, we're not going to give up anything. And he even says a statement at the end of it that anyone who is not ready to renounce all things can't be my disciple. And we talked about this last week, how Jesus' standard for discipleship is way different than what our church standard for discipleship is. But Jesus' goal for every believer was not an attender, not a small group attender, but a disciple who would daily follow. A disciple who had counted the cost and said, you know what, it's worth it. You know, me and Melody both turned in college scholarships, uh, turned down offer to the Navy. When they, they were recruiting me to go into nuclear engineering in, in, in the Navy, and they guaranteed me that when I graduate from uh, my, my six-year term, I'd have a master's degree on my way to a Ph.D., making at least six figures in, in over the course of time. And I went from that to working at a church that, it, and I turned those scholarships down, started working at a church where it would take me six or seven years to make six figures one time. But joy, peace in my heart. Why? Because I was at the banquet table with God. And those other things just don't matter when you're at the banquet table with God. And he challenges them to discipleship again. But then, in true God form and fashion, he goes, I want you to be disciples. Why? Because we got the lost we got to reach. In Luke 15, he tells three parables. The first parable is a shepherd who had a hundred sheep. One of them was lost. He's counting the sheep. One of them has gone. He said that the shepherd went, he left the 99 in the field, and he went to find the one. When he found the one, he brought him back, and they threw a celebration because the sheep that was lost had now been found. He goes on, he tells a second parable with pretty much the exact same meeting, just a little bit of different details. There's a widow woman. She had 10 coins, and she lost one of them. She didn't just sit there and say, oh, well, I still got nine. It'll be all right. It was just a coin. No, she tore her house apart, swept the floors, everything, until she found that one coin. And then when she found that one coin, she calls her neighbors and her friends, and it's like, I found my lost coin. And what do they do? They celebrate. And then you got the third story. We know it as the prodigal son. Father has two sons, and the son comes and says, I want you to give, my, give me my inheritance. 
I don't want to be a part of your house. I just want what you have to give me and just give me what's mine. He says he goes on, he lives his life, wild living, partying, all these things. To the point that all the money dried up. And he's feeding pigs. As he begins to feed the pigs, it says that the pods begin to look good to him. But nobody would give him any. to his senses it says he made up this this thing I'm, I know what I'm going to do my, in my father's house even his servants are better I'm, I'm just going to go back to my father's house and I'm going to ask him if he'll let me be a servant I'm going to tell him I know he's a religious guy so I'm going to tell him I, I serve I sinned against you and God because I know he's religious so that's going to give me some favor there if I realize I sinned against God I, you know Sin against you and God, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But if you just take me back as a servant, he starts making his way home. And as he's making his way home, his father sees him coming around the corner. His father takes off running after his son because he didn't want one chance that his son would change his mind. And his son gets ready to go through the speech that he prepared. And the father doesn't even want to hear it. He runs, he grabs him, he hugs him, and kisses him on his neck. And he starts celebrating. He's like telling his servants, hey, go, go get a ring for his finger. Go, go get a robe so, so that we can put on him. Go, go find the best robe, my robe. Put my robe on him and, and, and go kill the fatted calf because my son that was lost is now found and we're going to celebrate. It's about time to party. What do you see in these two chapters? As Jesus is teaching the Pharisees and now teaching the crowds, he's teaching them, I don't want your religion. I want you to realize that there are people who don't know me, don't know about God. And I want you to go get them. I don't care what they look like. I don't care what their social status is. I don't care if they're rich or poor, male or female, young or old. I don't care what ethnicity they are. None of that stuff matters to me. Just bring them to me. Because any deficiencies, anything that's broken, anything, I know I'm able to heal it. Just just bring them to me. I I I need people who will go bring the lost to me. they bring them in, there's going to be a celebration. You look at this entire story from the the marriage banquet part of it to, to him teaching on discipleship and all those things. See, so many times the church preaches at people like God is angry at the sinner, but, but God isn't angry with the sinners. And in, in, in fact, in, in Luke 19, verse 10, when they're fussing at him because he's spending time with Zacchaeus, he's like, what are you talking about? The son of man came to seek and to save that which was lost. This is the entire reason I came is to heal the broken people. It's not the healthy people that need a doctor. It's the hurting. I don't need you just to invite your healthy friends to church. I need you to find that hurting people and bring them in. I can bring them to a healthy state. I can bring healing into their life. But all we do is we invite people that we know won't say no. God said, no, 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 no. I don't care. Like, lost, broken, 
addicted, struggling, bring them. I'm not mad at him. The only people the story says he was angry at is the people who wouldn't come and sit at his table. The people who were complacent with the blessing versus going out and continuing to bring the lost in. The people who forgot where they had come from and what God had done in their life and just went into cruise control. That's what frustrates God, not people who are lost and don't know any better. That's who God wants us to reach. I mean, the most famous verse that is quoted in Scripture is, For God so loved the world, that He gave His one and only Son, that whosoever, whoever, say that, whoever, that means anybody, they don't have to grow up in church. They don't have to be a good person in their heart. They, they can, none of that matters. Whoever will listen to my call to come to me and put their faith in me and believe in me, they will not perish, but they'll have eternal life. Why? Because God didn't come into the world to condemn the world. He came into the world so that it could be saved. If God's focus was to seek and save that which was lost, why is our focus just to get other Christians from other churches to our same building? Why is our focus just to get more people who are in an okay state and, and, and relatively healthy? Why Just to get them and spend time with them. Like, guys, your small groups and your life groups, you don't need to just invite your friends and people that you feel comfortable with. You need to invite people who don't know Jesus because that may be the very thing where you lead them to the Lord in your group. Invite people who already go to church. They're part of the family of God already. Are we going into the highways and hedges? Have we lost our desire to compel? Have we lost our urgency? When was the last time that you invited somebody to church? Start there. And then when they say no, when is the last time that you invited them again even after they said no like just start like do you really believe that what God offers the presence of God the word of God the people of God the family of God that he offers do you really believe that it can change somebody's life if you do then do something about it and bring them in Maybe you're in here and you're that person who doesn't have a relationship with God and you're afraid, you maybe even been hesitant to come today because you're so condemned about your sin and where you are right now with God. <laughs> you are exactly where God wants you to be. And he, he ain't mad at you. He's not discouraged or disappointed in you. He has been waiting for this moment, just like the father who is waiting for his son to turn at any moment. How did he see him so quickly when he was a far way off? Because he was consistently looking for the son to return. Your father, your heavenly father has been consistently looking for you to come to this moment. And you don't have to be ashamed. You don't have to be embarrassed. Because when you come and you give your life to God, it's not going to be like, oh, that was a heathen person there. It's going to be a celebration in the house of God. Because what was lost is now found. And it's part of the family of God. 
We've got to create that environment, that atmosphere where people are willing to be open about what's going on in their life and the struggles, what's going on in their life so that they will come back to the Father's table so that they can be healed, so that they can be restored, so that they can find freedom and peace in their mind versus walking around with guilt and condemnation and struggle. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, be sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past messages. If you like what you're hearing, please rate and share. For more content, to connect with us, or if you'd like to support this ministry by giving, visit our website, iheartchurch.online. We love you and have a great day.